0: Getting Better Health Care is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma.
1: Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now,
0: here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman. Founder of the doctorscore.com physician rating website. On today's show, we're going to be talking about employers and healthcare. The U.S. healthcare system is really quite odd. Employers are paying for people's health. Now, this may seem normal because we're so used to it, but it's really kind of a crazy system. Uh, it means that people who are unemployed don't have good access to healthcare. It means that Since patients themselves aren't paying uh, directly for the cost of their care, they don't really care too much what the health care costs. The employer gets stuck with the bill. How can employers help manage this? Uh, We speak today with Carol Hendricks, she's executive director of the Employers Health Coalition. Carol, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Tell us a little bit about the Employers Health Coalition. Well, we're an
2: organization of self-funded employers. We began in the late 80s, as other several other coalitions did in the face of double-digit health care cost increases. We began as manufacturers, and while that still is our base, we also now have municipalities and education educational organizations participating. Um,
0: I was going to ask you, why, why do we need a coalition of uh, of employers with respect to health? Um, is it those double-digit health care cost increases?
2: That's where we started, Steve. Um, this organization began in purchasing the way we purchase anything else. As manufacturers, we negotiate as a body, as organizations, different for different... Um, Oh, well, it could be any supply. Sure. Now, for us, this is a product, and we approach this the way we approach purchase of any other product, and that is, what's the going rate? Right, what can we do to improve our market share, and thereby, by doing that, making us a bigger purchaser, then allowing us to get better prices. Um, we were naive, certainly, in in that approach. <laughs> Oh, we were very successful short term. The organization has evolved significantly, and we're not—we are no longer just looking for the bottom dollar.
0: So, if not the bottom dollar, what are you all um, interested in?
2: Well, we—we're um, interested in changing the model, as many employers and certainly many coalitions across the com- country are. When we started buying as a group, we thought. Again, naively, but this has been many years ago, we thought that healthcare providers would address this the way that we, as manufacturers, had addressed competition, (laughs) and that is, we got lean, we learned to do things more efficiently, thereby holding down costs, but the healthcare provider market at that time, certainly at least in our state, did not have the infrastructure built to to know what the cost of bringing a product to market was, in this case, a healthy patient. So they did what other organizations or other companies would do that didn't have that information. And with that information, it's hard to do anything that will elicit change, improve efficiency, quality, or or income. So they did what they could, and that's cut costs. So we kept paying them. We paid them less for a unit, in this case, a healthy patient, so they had to generate more units. And I would love to say that the healthcare crisis, and we certainly are in one in this country, was someone else's responsibility. But I believe that purchasers share the same level of responsibility that healthcare providers do. If you buy in a certain way and you have no way of monitoring the quality of the product or the service, then you get what you get. If I am paid $5 for something I was paid $7 for last year, then I've got to make more of those $5 units.
0: I, um, you know, I, I'm just wondering if the patient is getting left out of this because they're they're the ones using the health care. Um, but it, but, but in, as the way you describe it, they don't seem to have any responsibility for choosing to... Use healthcare efficiently to seek out. I mean, if they were buying, if I don't know what companies you represent, but if if a, con, a healthcare consumer were out purchasing any other product, uh, an MP3 player, a car, um, a paper, a, a groceries, they they might go around to a couple places, see who's got the price lowest, and, and buy from them. I don't see any of that happening in healthcare.
2: Well, I couldn't agree more. Um, To buy an MP3 player, I can get on the Internet, and I can see what competitors are charging. I can watch for sales at local Walmarts, and I can make that decision. It's an informed purchasing decision. But I don't know what the cost of a visit from one physician versus the other is. And I sure don't know if... That's a, a quality visit. That's that's not one of the fifty two percent of the visits where you get the wrong information. But instead is a is a good value. That information's not out there for the consumer. And until it is, first until it is, but even more. Secondly, until we've taught them how to evaluate it, because throwing it out there isn't enough. We need to be able to give them the tools to use that information. And until we do that we can't lay this at the, the patient's door. I'm not saying they don't bear responsibility. Certainly they do. But I believe the employees or the patient's responsibility lies more in the way that they take care of themselves, uh, the way that they use health care in a preventive way rather than waiting till the wheels fall off their car and, and going to the doctor when the damage is already done. So, yes, they should be informed consumers. But right now, the information that we can give them to inform them is how to take care of themselves and what they should expect for chronic diseases in the way of care. We've got that information out there. Now we've got to get them to sell it to some of the physicians. Now, believe me, I. I believe that I have yet to find a, certainly a primary care physician that's in it for the money. These people work long and hard hours. And, again, I'm paying them yet less today than I paid them four years ago when you take into account inflation for the same service that they provided. Mm-hmm. So it can't be, it can't be their battle alone. It's going to take all of us to fix this.
0: So – I love the idea of empowering the actual consumer of care, but you're saying that we can do it through employers t- to a degree. Um, let me just take an example, or are several examples: um, an MRI, uh, a, a, a scan that's going to cost thousands of dollars, or a drug treatment for you know for one of these modern new biologic medications that might cost tens of thousands of dollars. Or some prolonged hospitalization. It could even be a short hospitalization that will cost tens of thousands of dollars. It, it seems to me that it would make sense to somehow put into the hands of the patient an, an incentive so that they would look around and see who was charging less, who was giving the best value. But what you're saying is, well, that's going to be tough to do, as I understand it, that the employers are in a better place to do that. and And that may be true. Um, but I fear that if the employer said, well, you can't take this drug, this one's a better value, or you can't go to this scan or this one's a better value, or you can't go to this hospital because this one's a better value, the, the people are going to feel like their employer is rationing their health care. Is that an issue that you guys struggle well, with? Well, let me first – comment
2: on your uh, that it would seem that the employee would be the right pa- or the patient would be the right place and not the employer boy do I agree with you unfortunately that information's not there no employee or no patient at least remember I'm I'm speaking from my state where there's no public reporting out there no one knows what their physician charges and if you ask that physician they really can't tell you because it depends on what plan you're on. So book rate is irrelevant if your plan is paying a different rate. So an employee can't really make that decision if they don't know. And right now in this country, certainly in the state of Arkansas, they don't know. Now and I'm not saying that this is the employee's employer's responsibility. Not at all. But I am saying, as plan sponsors, and we are, we must be able to take this in bites. We've got to be able first to control the bleeding, and and we've done that. But certainly a short-term answer, and that is, gee, let's pay less. We've got to help the providers get through a, a tremendous change that we've dealt with a long time ago, and that is um, moving into an electronic age. I have to tell you that, uh, Steve, we used to think that the providers had the information, they just wouldn't share it with us. Mm -hmm. Little did we know that certainly in the early, even mid-90s, they didn't know. They didn't have the pricing information because it had not been an issue before that time. So they didn't know, or the cost information, they really didn't know. So now we want them to move to an electronic medical records environment, but we're not going to pay them anymore for that, now are we? So there's a cost here that we expect them to absorb. So unless we make those changes, and I've kind of gotten off topic, but unless we make those changes to help a provider, and by we make those, I mean the payment system itself, unless we make those things happen, then the the provider is not going to be able to give that patient much information at all if they don't have loaded into their system what that employee's company or plan is paying for that particular procedure.
0: That's very sensible. Um, What what other quality initiatives uh, is the coalition involved in? Well,
2: um, several. In my state, 13.2% of our, our citizens are diabetic. Those are the diagnosed diabetics. So for us, it's very important that our families, our patients and their families, the employees and their families, really, receive adequate care for diabetes. In order to do that, we have to track that. So we're spending a lot of our energy right now on two initiatives. One is determining what level of care our diabetics are receiving. Are they receiving the care to heat us? standards and that's a, something that we do through a claims analysis. And then once we do identify that and that it is very poor and it is, then the next thing we want to do is incentivize the physicians to bring those patients in and get those procedures done. And we do that around a NCQA recognition program, and if they meet those standards, then we increase their pay.
0: Okay, let me um, make sure our listeners understand. Just tell us what those HEDIS and NCQA uh, okay. standards refer to.
2: HEDIS is a, a set of measures that say if you are a diabetic, you should receive a hemoglobin A1C, which is a measurement of the sugar in your blood for a long-term basis, four times a year. <laughs> NCQA is an organization that's the let's see, NCQA National Council of Quality Assurance, and that organization, working with other leading organizations in the country, identify what the criteria is, and then they, using that criteria, they evaluate physicians' practices if a physician applies, and if they meet those standards, then they give them a recognition, and once that recognition has been given... In organizations, and, and ours certainly is one, we increase the fee schedules for the physicians who meet that level of quality.
0: You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on WebtalkRadio.net. We're speaking today with Carol Hendricks, Executive Director of the Employers Health Coalition. I had another guest who talked about how difficult it is for patients to manage their health care. Um, choosing different doctors, different specialists, different hospitals for different conditions, Mm -hmm. that it would be like them trying to build their own car by buying the parts from um, different manufacturers and putting it all together themselves, that what they really need is um, a a medical system that will care for them. And then you could have competing medical systems the way you have competing automobile manufacturers um, providing a – a unified product um, and then they could compete on price and quality uh, in that way, that, that the current system uh, where it's so piecemeal, just, it just can't work. Um, Is that something that y'all have um, addressed?
2: We have. And I would go a step further and say that not only were they having to, are they having to build it, but they're really not even sure what part works with what part. Um, a medical home model or an, or an accountable care organization model, I believe, certainly is is a cornerstone in redesigning the payment structure in the country. And without such, it, I don't believe that we can fix this problem. It's too big. We have to change the the incentives, how we're paying. We have to help providers speak to one another and work as a team and yet nothing that we're doing currently encourages that so it's going to take the providers certainly taking a very big step but it's also going to take the payers agreeing to pay in a certain way and that is pay a group of providers to provide care for an employee
0: yeah, I think in many ways, if you can't, I mean, I, I think step one is to to incentivize patients to with 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 high. Well, how about high deductible systems? Is that something that, that your employers yeah. have considered?
2: Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit because I'm. How can that happen? I know we've done it, but I've got, I'm on a high-deductible system. While I represent large employers, I myself am a small, empl- am a small employer with a $2,500 deductible. So if I'm going in to get that MRI, I really need to know what it costs, and I really need to know if I should have it or not. But I can't determine what it costs because I don't know what my plan is paying each of the MRI organizations. And when I call them... They don't know either. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. So that's the first problem that I have. Well, now the other thing is, I'm asking my doc, "Hey, I I think I need an MRI here. I've got a, there's something wrong with my back, and I'm having some numbness in my leg, and I think I should get one." Well, there's we have a whole tort reform issue. So in this case, the doctor would have to say, if you think we need it, well, we better get it. Although the doctor knows in all probability I don't really need one, maybe some rest and anti-inflammatories, and I'd be good as new. And if not, then I could come back. But once again, we put a physician in a place where I'll just sue them, and they know that, not me personally, but you understand, the patient can sue them. Mm-hmm. If they give that that wrong just one time and a and a thousand, they give that wrong advice, then they're the ones that get stuck. So now I, as a patient, have decided myself that I want this procedure, and nobody is counseling me and saying, "I don't really think you need that," because they put themselves at risk to do that. So now I'm going to buy it, but I don't know what I'm going to buy it for. And I don't even know are both of these who what are the incentives who does a physician own part of this organization, or is it because I really need it? they're just it's a very complex issue, and I would love to say, let's just give the money to the patient, let them make their own decision, but I think we must give them the right information, or how can we expect them to make the right decisions
0: yeah, I um. Yeah, I think that tort reform issue is a, a classic. You know, my my teenage son with his curved back. You know, the, mm-hmm. the the orthopedist said, "Well, you know, we could get an MRI to rule out a tumor," and um, and I'm like, "Well, what's the possibility of tumor? Oh, it's like one in a million, or I don't know, one in a hundred mm-hmm. thousand. Well, it's some extraordinarily small thing, but mm-hmm. you know, we um, the doctor, you know, does certainly doesn't want to." Put my kid at risk for being that one, and you know I'm looking at the cost, and maybe I'm paying twenty percent of this multi thousand dollar procedure and I'm like, well it's to me it's only a few hundred bucks, and I can afford that being a doctor mm-hmm. uh, but um realistically. Did he need it? No. Did uh, yeah. you know? Was the did, did I call around to several different MRI stores to find out who would provide it the, at the lowest cost? No. Did I look for sales like you said? No. And um, you know, if, I could see where it might take away from the tort reform problem if the doctor said to the patient, "Look, it's your decision. Here's the prescription for the test. If you want it." You decide it's, you know, it's going to cost you, you know, $3,000, but I don't, you know, you know, so, but, um,
2: but why doesn't a doctor, I think a doctor should have that right. If a physician says there's a chance in whatever, then, and your plans, you got a $2,500 deductible. Well, frankly, that still really doesn't help because if it's a chance in a million, I've just spent my $2,500 deductible and, All of the tests, in all probability, shouldn't be covered. If it's a chance in a million, and I want to spend my twenty five hundred dollars to do that, then then I'll do it. But should the plan then say, "Okay, you've met your deductible using this ridiculous, unnecessary test"?
0: Oh, it's such a complex issue, isn't it? Yeah. Well, but the thing, the beauty of it is, if once you made the people pay that twenty five hundred dollar deductible, it just seems to me that. They would call around to see who had it cheapest, and if everybody was calling around, then mm-hmm. you know, these organizations might be having to provide that information that you have so clearly indicated. We really deserve and really need. Otherwise, how can mm-hmm. we how can we change things?
2: And, and in some states, that information is available, In our state it isn't, um, and so that's a real issue for us. I, I know I some of my my. Peers and other coalitions—they have that information available to them—and I'm very jealous of that. But in Arkansas, we don't have a law that requires we make that information public.
0: So basically, in Arkansas, you know, like in other states, I think there's several choices. One is we just keep <coughs> eating these double-digit in inflation in healthcare costs. So we just keep paying more and more which we can't do forever, we let our employers or the government decide what the plans should cover and ration our care for us, or we switch to some kind of system where people are given the tools and the incentives to regulate their own use of health care, the way they regulate their use of every other commodity they buy. You started by saying how... Um, your initial approach was the way employers, businesses approach everything, and mm-hmm. it seems to me that the solution is for consumers to approach healthcare the way they approach every other decision in their economic lives.
2: Then we must have a Ralph Nader's Consumer Reports for healthcare, because without that, I just. I just don't think it's a long-term solution. I will tell you what we're doing as plans here, as self-insured employers. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: We are changing our benefit plans, and we're requiring some things that we didn't require before. Um, I heard someone use this term recently, and it's in a carrot and stick environment. We are at at least using a frozen carrot these days. Mm -hmm. And there will be... There'll be requirements for body mass index. So we've got our the city of Fort Smith here is a magnificent um, example. They won the uh, won an award for consumer-driven healthcare plans, and in, in the way they have uh, developed their plan, very proactive. They have they can't be smokers. If they're smokers, then they have to pay this much more. And if their body mass index doesn't cr- then decrease or is to a percent not a number but a percent, then they're, they have to pay, pay more for the deductible. And there are several, several incentives are really now disincentives if they don't do the right thing. So we're spending more of our time and energy and benefit money on that front end. Uh, many of us no longer charge. It doesn't matter what drug you take for diabetes. I really don't care. Is it on the formulary or not? Just take it. Oh, no, Yes. And in order to do that, we'll make the benefit plan design. Uh, we'll build build it in such a way that, that they that they can afford to do that. I recently had one of um, one of my employer's employees tell our we have our own medical home. We have our own clinics, on site clinics, and tell the physician, they're the medical director. I he's was well over two hundred and fifty pounds. He had five kids diabetes out of control, hypertension through the roof. She has electronic medical records and so could see that he didn't fill his prescription for his anti-diabetic meds. And when she said, what's going on here? You haven't done it. He said, it's either feed the kids or fill the scripts. And that was pretty straightforward. So we changed the benefit plan so that he could hopefully afford to do both. Again, you know, Pennywise, pound foolish. It's not a new concept. It's just one that we're starting to apply in our health plan designs. You know, it's a, it's, it's not an easy answer and there's, there's not just one way to fix it. Certainly we need to make our employees take more responsibilities for their health and for the health care decisions. But we also need to make sure that they have available to them care. They can frankly help us pay. For benefits, because that one diabetic with an MI or with a any sort of an infection or all of Kidney those transplant. things that can happen would have yeah. cost a lot. I, I could have bought prescriptions for any anti-diabetic medication we want, regardless of the price, and still, for the entire group, and still saved money. So we really believe in value-based benefit plan design. Um, And we're trying to be very proactive. But we're not there yet. This country isn't there yet. And I do believe it's a mixed bag. We've got to educate. We have to empower our employees by giving them the tools they need to make the purchasing decisions. And, yes, we need to hold them accountable. So do we also need to hold the plans accountable and the providers accountable? Other than that, it's a piece of cake.
0: Well, I was going to ask you for your final thoughts for our listeners, but I think you handled it just beautifully. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Well, that was enlightening. You look at our healthcare system, and it's a mess in terms of quality and cost issues. Um, Well, let's go back. there, there's some great aspects to the quality of the healthcare system. I mean, we certainly don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there's things that need to improve, but the costs that we're paying for it, it just keep going up and up and they're, you know, breaking our backs in so many ways. Uh, who's the bad guy? Well, uh, as Carol said, it's not the doctors. They're, they're breaking their necks to give patients great care and their reimbursements are going down. Uh, it's, it's not the patients. They just want to get well. Um, and here we, we get to hear the employer's point of view. They're trying their best to give patients uh, high-quality, good-value medical care. Um, they want to keep people well. They want to reduce costs um, by keeping people healthier. So where are the problems? Well, clearly with the incentive structures. Uh, as Carol points out, there's a lack of information in our system that makes it hard for people uh, to make rational decisions. The incentives just aren't in the right place. I'm a fervent believer that we can get those incentives in line and create a more rational system. It won't just come from insuring more people. Uh, it won't come from government making our health care decisions for us. I think it has to come from better education, uh, incentives uh, on, on, on part of patients to utilize their healthcare care dollar, um, rationally and as, as Carol points out giving patients empowering them with the information they need on, on quality but shoot I started a doctor rating website of course I believe in that well thank you for joining us today getting better healthcare has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli until next time I wish you the very best of health Thanks
1: for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Health Care.